Well, grab your Bibles, um, get them out, and turn to Revelation chapter uh, 3. We are continuing our series on the seven churches of Revelation. Before we get there, um, did I ever tell you guys why I don't play guitar? My wife plays guitar. My dad plays guitar. My brother plays guitar. My grandpa plays guitar. Um, And the reason I don't play guitar is actually because of a Bible verse. Okay, here's the Bible verse. Psalm 38, uh, 7, 8 says this. Cease from anger do not, uh, and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It only causes harm. <laughs> do not fret. So I take the word of God seriously. I never read it outside of its context, of course. And uh, <clears throat> someone told me after last service that they have uh, fretless Fretless guitars, is that true? See, so I don't know. You can, I guess you can fret without fretting. So there you go. <clears throat> I also don't do math because of a Bible verse. 1 Corinthians 1.10 says this, I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, to live in harmony with each other. Let there be no divisions in the church. <clears throat> no divisions in the church. I think you can, do, you can still do multiplication, adding, but there should be no divisions among you. So... Uh, biblical basis, I got some amens out of some of the uh, youth in the last service. Like, okay, no math, good to go. <laughs> My daughter's at this age where her math is like, um, it's beyond what I can help her with. I'm like, you're on your own, girl. Like, you're, you're flying solo from here on out. This is as far as I can take you because half of what I learned, I forgot. And I'm a pastor, I talk, and I have a calculator, and that takes care of everything I need. So there's no trigonometry happening up in here. So... <clears throat> How many know that the context of a verse is important when you're studying the Bible? Today we're going to look at two verses, um, two of the most misunderstood verses in the Bible. We'll get there in just a few minutes, but again, uh, we'll turn to Revelation chapter 3. I said last week that we would be concluding our series on the seven churches of Revelation, and then I realized there was a lot of content I wanted to cover, and I didn't want to leave it um, undone. So I'm actually going to do a part two next week um, on the Church of Laodicea. Now, somehow, I'm going to take that and tie it into supernatural generosity. So be praying for me this week. I don't know how I'm going to do that, but we're going to do that. But um, also, I mentioned this, that at the, at the end of this series, I wanted to um, give you, uh, everyone here, a white stone. Because Jesus said to the church of Pergamum, the one who's victorious, I will give them a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. And I thought, I just got this idea, like, that'd be awesome to give out a white stone to everyone. And what I want you to do is I want you to pray about um, and, and ask the Holy Spirit a facet of your identity in him. And I want you to actually go take that and write that on that stone. And on the other side, I want you to write a scripture that either pertains to that or a particular scripture that the Lord's highlighting. And I'll talk a little bit next week about, we'll recap what the white stone uh, symbolizes and what that means. But so look forward to that next week. Y'all, y'all are getting white stones before you leave here. So, all right, today's part eight. And we're going to do kind of a part one of the Laodicean church. The title of our message today is Ready for Service. Um, Because I kind of split this teaching in half, this will actually be kind of short today. And and next week we'll, we'll cover more. But we'll start in Revelation 3, 14 here. It says this. 
to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, these are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. Verse 17, you say I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need, uh, need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. How'd you like to get that message from Jesus? Obviously, because they are self-sufficient. You, you say you're rich and acquired, you don't need anything. You acquired wealth and say so you don't need anything. Jesus says, no, you, you, you need spiritual wealth. Verse 18, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become wi- uh, witch. rich. Don't become witch, especially this October 31st. We don't do witches, okay, people? I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich, spiritual richness, and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and put salve on your eyes so that you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat down on, with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. We'll go into this a little bit more next week, but Jesus gave a pattern of exhortation to all the churches. He gave them um, accommodation, um, correction, counsel, and a crown. It is noteworthy that the church of Laodicea received no accommodation from the Lord. In other words, he had nothing good to say about them. Um, Of all the churches, this is the only church that he had nothing good to say about. I suppose the most encouraging thing he had to say to the church of Laodicea is this, verse 19, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. He's saying, in spite of all this self-sufficiency you have, you you, um, uh, being rich in in the natural realm, but poor in the spiritual realm, I love you and I'm committed to your success. I'm committed to your spiritual growth and I'm not giving up on you. So in spite of all that, Jesus does affirm the fact that he loves them. He says, I'm actually doing this. I'm actually speaking in your life because I love you and I have good plans for you. And that should be encouragement to us because I don't know about you, but I've, I've gone off the rails a few times in my life. And in spite of that, God loved me and he was committed to my maturity. He was committed to my success. He was committed to, um, to help me mature and to help me be conformed to his image because we were predestined to be like Jesus. Amen? Amen. All right, so let's break down the text here. We'll start in verse 14. Actually, we're just going to get to three verses today. Um, verse 14, he says this, To the angel, that is the messenger, that is the local pastor of the church, um, to, the, to the angel of the church of Laodicea to write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. These are the words of the Amen. That's an interesting title for Jesus, the Amen. I don't know if you've ever called him. I've called him the Great I Am, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, God Most High. I've I've, I've never been like, Lord, you are the Amen. Sounds kind of goofy, right? Um, Amen is something we typically say um, at the end of our prayers, which simply means so let it be, let it be done, make it so, right? Make it so, number one. How many Star Trek fans we got up in here? All right, I see you, I see you. What about Star Wars, any, any Star Wars? Okay, Star Trek, Star Wars, okay. 
Very good. Make it so. That's what uh, Captain Picard would say to his, his number one guy. So it means let it be done, make it so, um, let it be. It also means truly, the amen. It means truly. Jesus, the same word is used in other places in the gospel where Jesus would say, verily, verily, I say unto you. In other words, truly, truly, I say unto you. But you could read verse 14 because of that. You could read for, verse 14 like this. This is the... Um, the PKC version. Have you guys ever read the PKC version? That is the Pastor Kurt Chamberlain version. No, it's not a real version of the Bible. It's, it's, it's not heresy, but it's not an authentically recognized uh, version. Of, you know, I think some uh, people would, would, would call it heresy. I don't know. But this is the PKC version. I, I infer this by studying the Greek and the other translations, but verse 14, these are the words of the true one, the faithful and authentic witness, the origin and sustainer of God's creation. I think if you look at other translations in the Greek, that actually gels pretty, pretty well with the, um, the meaning of that text. But I love that Jesus, to all the churches, before he gets into saying, here's what you've done well, Here's where you're lacking. Here's my counsel, and here's my future promise. Before he gets into any of that, he says, this is who I am. And he always points to himself as the, the sufficiency for whatever problem they were facing. The fact that he's saying, I'm the origin and sustainer of God's creation, says to a church that became self-sufficient and they're rich, he's saying, no, you've become self-sufficient, but you need to know that I am your sufficiency. I am your sustainer. You need to learn how to be dependent upon me once again. Jesus always points to himself as the answer before he presents the answer. And that's a good lesson for us, isn't it? Jesus, how many know Jesus has the answer for things we're going through, problems we're facing, struggles that we're having? But more than that, and perhaps more importantly, is he is the answer. And if we get a revelation of Jesus, how many know our life, your life is hidden in Christ and God? And if you find him, you'll find yourself in him. Amen? Does that make sense? Your life is hidden in Christ and God. You want to know who you are? Find Jesus and you'll find yourself in there. We got people going all around the world. They're trying to find themselves. Going on a backpacking trip around Europe, looking for themselves. I found you. I want you to know I found you. You're in Jesus. I found you. Amen? Jesus says, look to me. I'm the author, the finisher of your faith, the pioneer, the perfecter. <clears throat> and the, Jesus' description of himself in verse 14 is what the Laodiceans need to overcome their shortcomings. He is indeed the true one, the authentic one, source, origin, beginning, and sustainer of all creation. All right, let's look at verse 15. He says this, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. Okay, this is what I was referencing. Um, in my opinion, this is these two verses are two of uh, uh, the most misunderstood verses in the entire Bible. And for good reason. At face value, it's actually easy to um, uh, infer the wrong interpretation of this verse. Because we, we want to um, in, interpret Scripture with Scripture, interpret Scripture in the context, interpret Scripture with um, historical, archaeological backgrounds, those, those whole things. So... I misunderstood this verse for many years. And some have read this passage like this. <clears throat> Jesus is like, I wish you either didn't know me at all or that you were 100% on fire all the time, every time. 
But since you are wavering somewhere in between, I'm going to get rid of you. I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. <clears throat> okay, that is not what, that is not the message that's being conveyed here. Jesus is not saying, I wish that you were fiery passion all the time, or you would just go get on drugs and ruin your entire life. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying, I wish you were, you were completely lost and going to hell. No. How many know that to the compromised believer, to the weak believer, to the immature believer, Jesus still like works with us. He's still working in us. Thank God for that. I would have been done, listen, I would have been done a long time ago if he didn't work with immaturity, compromise, weakness, my shortcomings, and he would be done with you too. And that's not what he's saying. <clears throat> this is what he's saying. Well, well, we'll build this here. Cold here does not mean lost and going to hell. Hot here does not mean passionate love for God 100% of the time. And lukewarm is not the indifference between the two extremes. This is where context <clears throat> becomes important. So <clears throat> contextual exegesis. Everyone say contextual, contextual. Exegesis. exegesis. Okay, what does that mean? That is, we are interpreting the text based upon the context of the story. We're interpreting the Bible based upon the Bible, right? Okay, what is the context here? Jesus is using an illustration. He's using a drinking illustration. He says, <clears throat> how many know that when you're using a drink illustration, how many know that hot drinks are good and cold drinks are good? Lukewarm drinks are typically not good, right? How many know that on a hot day, there's nothing as refreshing as an ice-cold drink? I don't know about you. How many of you like iced tea? Like in the summer, super hot. Day. Go, I got a picture of iced tea. When you're out mowing the lawn, working outside, isn't it wonderful to have some ice-cold iced tea? Isn't that great? Okay, go to the next one. Or iced coffee. Yeah. This is what I love when I'm out like doing yard work. I'm digging. Because um, you got something refreshing, something cold, but it also gives you a little caffeine boost, okay? Um, what about days like today on a cold day? There's nothing as warming and therapeutic as a hot drink. We have a picture of a hot drink as well. Yeah, there you go. So this is what we're going to be doing here in a few minutes. I brought my down coat with me because I knew it would be standing outside. Not that it's that really that cold. And I got some different pair of boots that I'm going to wear because it's, it's cold outside. But this is what we're going to be doing. But how many know on a cold day you want something hot Something therapeutic, something that warms you up, okay? <clears throat> or hot chocolate. I mean, like hot chocolate. Yeah. Isn't that wonderful? Like in in the when it's cold out. My uh, my grandfather, uh, he served in the the Korean War. My grandfather's still alive. He's 93 years old. He served in the Korean War, and he didn't talk much about um, his time in in the Korean War up until like the last few years. We're starting to get more stories out of him in the last few years. Which is cool because I'm like, you know, once these, once he passes away, these stories will be gone forever. So I like to, you know, pry some stories out of him. But he said that um, the uh, in Korea in the winter, it was the win the winters are bitter cold, and they're up there, you know, up there fighting and camping, and it was the, the winters uh, were bitter cold. But he's and they didn't get to have coffee all the time. But he says on Christmas, he remembers Christmas Day. They they said you can have all the coffee you want. And he told me, he said, I drank coffee all day on Christmas because we could have all the coffee we wanted. So it was really cold out, but he drank coffee all day. How many know a hot drink on a cold day is wonderful? How many know a cold drink on a hot day is wonderful? Both are good. 
One isn't like lost and going to hell and on fire for Jesus. Both are good. Jesus, when Jesus says this, he's saying both are good. Jesus was speaking to a very rich city, um, the richest of the seven. But Laodicea had a problem, and this was their problem. They had a water problem. Prosperous cities um, in those days and today, frankly, they're built close to abundant natural resources, especially water. So cities usually were founded on deep harbors or on the banks of uh, deep navigable rivers. Um, but unfortunately, Laodicea was, a stat, was not established near an adequate water supply. More driven by its trade, it was built on the, uh, where the roads crossed. Their one weakness was their water supply. Water had to be piped in to Laodicea to meet the needs of the city. And um, so what would they do? They Cold water, they would pipe it in from um, Colossae, but by the time it traveled 10 miles or so to uh, uh, Laodicea, it was lukewarm. And then about six miles away to the north, uh, Hierapolis had hot springs. But that water too, once they piped it to Laodicea, by the time it reached Laodicea, it was lukewarm and it was both nauseating to smell and to drink. It was, it was uh, gross by that time. You know, how many like sitting in hot springs? I like going to hot springs. That's, that's a fun time. But if you took that water, and it's got a little bit of a sulfury kind of smell on it, you know, it's a, if you took that water and let it cool down to lukewarm temperature and tried to drink that, listen, it would not be good. It would not be a good drink. And this is, Jesus was speaking to the city that had a water problem, and they knew exactly what he was talking about. So whether they piped in the cold water from Colossae, the hot water from uh, Hierapolis, when it reached Laodicea, it was lukewarm water. Unlike the other six cities that Jesus addressed in the seven churches of Revelation, they had a water problem. I'll, I'll show you a map real quick just so you can kind of see. Um, again, Hierapolis to the north, it's about six miles away, and uh, Colossae um, to the southeast um, was about 10 miles away, and they, they piped them in. Interestingly enough about uh, Colossians, uh, Colossae, the Apostle Paul wrote the letter of Colossians um, to the believers in uh, Colossae, and um, he mentions Laodicea in his letter. And he says, uh, after you guys read this letter, send it to uh, Laodicea and, and make sure that they read this letter as well. And he also references, the Apostle Paul references, that he wrote a letter to the Laodicean church, which we don't have in the Bible. We don't have records of it. I kind of wish we did have records of it. It would be fun to read and see what he said to this other church. But a good way to remember this is Colossi cold, Hierapolis hot. Colossi cold, Hierapolis hot. Okay. Let me show you a couple more pictures. So uh, go to the first one of Hierapolis. These are the hot springs of Hierapolis. This is modern-day Turkey. You can go to this place today, these hot springs that Jesus is referencing here to the Apostle John, to the Laodicean church. They still exist. In fact, there you can see that there's uh, ruins even beneath the water. Uh, go to the next picture. Um, and then, yeah, there's another shot of the, the hot springs rolling over the cliffs there. It looks like a very pretty place, doesn't it? Okay, and then I got two more pictures. Go to the next one. So this is an ancient um, aqueduct um, pipe system that they would use to pipe the water from one location to another. This is not a new invention. And then one last picture, yeah. And again, those are ancient pipes that they used. 
um, to pipe water in. So, if lukewarm doesn't mean indifference between these two extremes, hot and cold are two different uh, extremes, but they're, again, they're both positive. They're both, they're not negative. If it doesn't represent indifference between those two extremes, um, what does it represent? Okay, so hot, Jesus is saying, I wish you were hot, therapeutic, warming to myself, or I wish you were cold, refreshing and sustaining to me. The picture we need to see here of Jesus is that we are serving him. This is a picture of service to him. And we don't want to be lukewarm. Okay, what does lukewarm represent? Lukewarm represents ineffective, unproductive, purposeless, idle, fruitless, profitless. That's what he's referencing here by lukewarm. He's not talking about the passion of their, uh, of, their, of their love for him. Let me give you another reason why this is the case. I'll show you this. Okay, again, let's look at verse 15 in the NIV. I know your deeds, that you're neither cold nor hot. I wish you were one or the other. Okay, notice deeds. He didn't say love. He said deeds. Let's look at this in uh, the New King James Version. I know your works, that you're neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were cold or hot. Last translation, New Living Translation. I know all the things you do, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other. What is Jesus talking about? Jesus is talking about their service to him. Not necessarily their love for him. Now remember, Jesus um, corrected the Ephesian church in, in, uh, here in the seven churches of Revelation. He corrected the Ephesian church and said, you've lost your first love. He commended them for all these things. He said, yet you've lost your first love and you need to return. You need to return to me. Okay, that's not the message that he's conveying to the church of Laodicea. He's not talking about their love. Like, oh, you either got to be fiery all the time or I wish you were just cold. No, the message is here is he's speaking to the Laodicean church saying, you've lost your service to Jesus. That is this. You've lost the impact on your community and on your world that you once had. You've stopped uh, serving. You've stopped sacrificially giving. You've become idle. You've become purposeless. Amen? How many know we all need a purpose? We're not just supposed to be idle. How many know that the church of Laodicea, they were heaven-bound because they were saved. They had received the grace of the Lord Jesus. But they were, they, stopped, uh, they were no earthly good. They stopped producing. They stopped making a difference in the world around them. The church of Laodicea was the richest of the seven uh, cities, the richest of the seven churches, yet they stopped ministering to the world around them. They were rich and lazy. How many know it's possible to be rich and lazy? You know, there's someone, I I like to watch um, MMA, and it's interesting when you watch young guys coming up and they have nothing, but they just got this drive and they have to like prove themselves, right? And then you get guys who, like, make millions of dollars. And all of a sudden, they, like, start, miss, start missing practices. And they're just, they become lazy and become complacent. And you could see why that would happen, don't you? Um, this happened in Rocky Balboa, right? I talked about this last week. Go watch that series. Otherwise, you won't get what I'm saying. Like, he got soft because he got too comfortable. Well, listen, this church got a little bit soft, got a little too comfortable, got a little bit complacent, and stopped their service to the Lord. They were materially blessed, but not a blessing. How many know that you are blessed to be a blessing? 
You're not blessed to be a, a full-time consumer for yourself. God's blessed you so that you can impact the world around you. We are not saved by our good works, but we are saved for good works. Amen? It says this in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. This is maybe one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. How many love that verse? That's got to be one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Look at the very next verse. So that was Ephesians 2, 8, 9. Look at verse 10. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You're not saved by your good works, but you are saved for good works. You're not saved by your impact on your community, but you are saved for impact on your community. You're not saved by having a good marriage, but you are saved to pour your love and devotion into a person and to have a good marriage. You're not saved by being a good parent, but you are saved to be a good parent. Amen? You're not saved because you're a good provider, but you are saved to be a provider. We're not saved by our impact. We are, we are saved for impact. You were saved on purpose for a purpose. Can I get a witness up in here? Um, I want to invite my bride up here. And I'm just talking about the church of Laodicea losing their purpose, losing their mission, losing their calling, and became idle and complacent. And I just, I ran. this morning, we're like, what we really want to do is provoke you to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit, that wherever you go, you're just, you're, your antennas are up, and you're listening, and you're watching, and waiting for people. And I asked her to share the story. She probably doesn't even want to share it, because she loves to do these things in secret, but it helps me make a point today, so I'm going to have you share it. Um, whoa. Is that okay? Too loud? Um, recently, I had a birthday, and my mom gave me some cash, and it was substantial, and I just had it in my purse and was thinking about it and just forgot about it. <clears throat> but um, that same week, my mom and my brother and I went out to dinner um, to celebrate my birthday. It was like a few days later, so it wasn't on my birthday. And we had a waitress who just, you know when you have a waitress that just starts kind of talking to you more than normal? And she just kind of, actually she was having a hard night. She like took forever to get us our water. And I'm like, that's okay, no worries. Um, but she started talking about how she's a single mom and she was commuting in from another town and she's just getting by and didn't have you know money for oil change, blah, blah, blah. So she went away and I really just felt the Holy Spirit give me this real compassion for her. And I was so moved. She didn't even know. My parent, my, my brother and my mom, no idea. But I just put this money in my palm and I just was like, held her hand, put this money in her hand and I just said, you touched my heart and you touched God's heart. He loves you so much. He sees you, he's for you, he's gonna take care of you. And she was just like, okay, thank you so much and she didn't even know my mom my family didn't even know and since she went away she was gone for like a long time and she came back like crying she's like i just called my mom because my mom said i told you god sees you i told you he'll take care of you it was just beautiful to get to be part of it and it's just one of those things if you're just kind of moved 
And that's when Jesus would do miracles as his compassion was pulled on. And so, I don't know, it was really special. So good. Years ago, uh, Pastor Bob Grinneman preached a message, and it was called Compassion is Your Spinach. You guys remember... Uh, Popeye, when he eats spinach, he got big muscles and he could do mighty exploits. Listen, when you feel the, that gut-wrenching compassion of the Lord, that is, a, that is an indicator. The Lord is highlighting something to you, and he, he's posturing you to use you right where you're at. I'll, I'll close with this. Matthew 25, 35, and 40, Jesus said this, For I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me into your home. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you cared for me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then these righteous ones will say, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink, or a stranger and show you hospitality, or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? Verse 40. And the king will say, I tell you the truth. When you did it to one of the least of these of my brothers and sisters, you are doing it for me. Ministry to others who are in need is ministry to Jesus. That is ministry to the Lord. Probably the most important thing that I picture um, as a church is that we minister to the Lord. And, and how many know we do that in a few different ways? We do that, I think, primarily by coming before him in times of praise and worship. And listen, during during the praise time, the worship time, we're not just here for sing-alongs. No, we're here to offer a sacrifice to the Lord. I just want to commission you if you're here and you're like, why are they singing so many songs? Listen, we're offering a sacrifice. We're, we are trying to engage with our king. We're trying to offer him something. But you can also offer sacrifice to him by financially giving, giving a gift, tithing, right? Sacrificial giving. You can also do it by serving. You can also do it by serving. And so what is the Holy Spirit saying to you today? Are you a minister to the Lord? Are you a refreshing drink to the Lord? Are you, a thera are you therapeutic and warm to those who are cold? Are you refreshing and sustaining to those who are burnt out and exhausted? What is the Holy Spirit saying to you today? Do you need to get back to serving? Do you need to get back to giving? Do you need to get back to tithing? Are you, have you become like the church of Laodicea where you've kind of just become blessed in your, in your lives? How many know we're Americans? We are the, I think, the blessed, most blessed nation on earth. It's easy to just kind of sit on our blessed assurance and wait for the great by and by. But God has given you all of this to do something with it. And I just want to say, when you allow God to flow through you, to use you, it's going to be a life-giving experience for you. Let's stand and let's pray. Again, next week, I'll do the second half of the Church of Laodicea. There's a lot of other good things we want to get to here. Somehow, magically, I'm going to tie that into supernatural generosity. And you're going to be praying for me this week to do that, right? Yeah, it's going to be good. So I'm going to pray. Jesus, we love you. I thank you, God, for that we are um, co-heirs, co-laborers, God. 
you've called us and we co-reign with you, God. We co-reign, we're co-heirs and we're co-laborers, Lord. And I pray, Lord God, for every person here that we would be co-laborers in the kingdom with you, Lord God that we would be about the king's business. We would be about ministering to the Lord Jesus. When we minister to the hurting, we're ministering to you, Lord. When we're ministering to those who are burnt out and tired, God, we're giving a refreshing drink, God, to you. God, and I just pray this morning we would see ourselves as ministers to the Lord. We love you. We thank you for today. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen.